0: Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, a point eight or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and...
1: Minnie.
0: Minnie, how are you this morning?
1: Look, I'm pretty well. Like I said, You're I'm here, well. it's Monday. but Well, you know sometimes Monday's a bit well. hard to get here, but this morning I was up. I was like, okay, I'm good uh-huh, to go. Uh-huh. I had a little bit of sleepiness, but I was good. Yep. Um, but how are you? I know something exciting happened for you guys on the weekend. Yes.
0: I have a new daughter.
1: Yay! Hey.
0: <laughs> so uh, our youngest son got married yesterday. Very exciting. Um, so super excited. They've uh, headed off on their honeymoon now. So mm-hmm. wishing them all the best. Um, awesome ceremony, awesome day. Just everything about it was just totally amazing. So, Did you
1: guys watch online? Is that how you did it? Yes. Or were you there? Yeah, okay. Yes. Yep. Oh, cool!
0: Streamed over uh, yeah, this COVID wedding, you know, comes streaming over <laughs> streaming over the iPhone from the uh, maid of honor. Yeah, <laughs> I think there was what uh, six people in attendance, maybe seven.
1: Yeah, okay. I um so my friends came down for the weekend to see them. Yes. Um and so I went and kinda caught up with them a bit and I was like, Oh man, when boys get together, it's just a whole different energy
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Like him and some of the friends who like my friend's husband is good friends with him, I was like, Oh wow. They just get very excited like for the Bucks night, they're like, We're gonna dress him up in this stuff. Like nothing too bad. But I was like, yeah. It I was just, pretty wild. I was like, I don't think girls just get the same enjoyment out of being like, ah, you have to wear this thing that's going to embarrass you. <laughs> Whereas boys are like, ha, ha, ha sucker. <laughs> 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 and it brought them so much joy.
0: <laughs> so much joy. They paid out on my son just epically on Saturday night at the, uh, at mm-hmm. the Bucks night and uh, they all just, yeah, they, they, they had the, the greatest time ever.
1: Yeah. No, that is very exciting, though. <laughs> I saw Shell's post and Harley's post about the wedding yesterday. I was like, ah, that's so lovely. Yeah. You're listening to The
0: Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, what's happening in the uh, world of positively different news?
1: Okay, you know what? There was actually a lot of stories last night when I was looking, and I was like, oh, I've got to choose a good one. Many, many good ones. But anyway, one of them was, so this year, we've had, look, I think this year has been quite interesting because we've had a lot of stories of like strangers helping out strangers because of just circumstance around the world. Yes. Um, but so this year, um, from what I understand, it might be a bit of a stereotype. You know, you have the kids doing the old lemonade stand for the summer, like get some pocket money, bit of a rite of passage. So one boy, um, Cartier, I think his name is.
0: Did you ever do the uh, lemonade stand?
1: No, we just thought it was an American thing. Yeah, I think it is. I
0: think it is. <laughs> I
1: just And also where I live, there would have been no one. Like,
0: <laughs> Did you ever do anything when you were a kid to earn pocket money?
1: Oh, just the old will vacuum. It was just chores. It was always just chores. For mum and dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My friends and I were too busy. My, actually, this one girl and I, we got the idea in our head that we were going to do little restaurants. Oh, yeah. Some of those things we put on the menu. And my parents were always like, okay, we'll try. (laughs) And in hindsight, I just talked to her recently, in hindsight we were like, how did they do that? Because some of it was terrible. But anyway, we were like, yeah, we'll make a restaurant. (laughs) Anyway, good thing we got past that. Uh, Did you, when you were young?
0: Yeah, we uh, we grew vegetables. And oh, sold yeah. them door to door. So lettuce and potatoes and all that kind of thing. Mm. So it was kind of cool. That's cool. uh, What else did we do? My brother got into um, he bought like 300 pine trees. And <laughs> like they were maybe, you know, 300 millimeters tall, grew them for a couple of years and sold them as Christmas trees.
1: Wow, go ahead. And
0: then the survivors are still growing in Tasmania and they're now like 300 feet tall. Maybe not quite that tall, but, yeah, <laughs> they're, but they're enormous yeah. pine trees uh, growing down there. So um, we did that. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what else we did. I think that was probably about it.
1: I think Apart from the chores,
0: you know, we got, yeah, um, yeah. we got like five cents for every blackberry bush we dug out of the paddock, that kind of stuff.
1: Nice. Yeah. See, I think I was just very unmotivated by money. Like as much as it would have been nice to have, I was just a kid who I had to have a reason. So I did things like the 40-hour famine or the different sell your chocolate or whatever stuff for school. Oh, yes. But there was a purpose behind it. I just was not at all engaged to be like money just for the sake of money. I was like, brilliant, it's shiny. Put it somewhere else. Even now, I'm pretty bad with that. It's not very nice to have money. <laughs> Those of but us it's who like, know
0: you, many have noticed this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's just not the motivating factor. But anyway, this boy, this boy, Cardia. so he starts the lemonade stand this year. He's 11 years old. Yeah, it's a rite of passage for a lot of people by the sounds of it, but not for him. He has a very specific purpose. He wants to invest back into his town specifically for single mothers in need. Oh, wow. Yeah, so with the financial stress and uncertainty through the year, he's been focusing on the basics, which is literally just nappies and baby wipes. Um, and how it came up with the idea, he visited his grandma in a town that was pretty low on the economic demographic scale, it wasn't too good, and he was just like taken aback by how many um, how many mums he saw who were doing it on their own. And he was like, man, this is hectic. Um, so he comes up to this. He, his mum essentially said he came up to us and went – hey, can we help some mums? They went, yep, what's your plan? He told them and they were like, all right, went from there. Um, so by the, end of the, by the end of July, he had raised close to $5,000 and distributed 6,500 nappies. At the end, as of this month in September, we're September, right? Yeah, I was like, I'm so sure we're still in September. Um, he's at $22,000, which is close to his goal of 25,000. Wow. That's smashing it. That is amazing. Um, they've helped more than 300 single parents, but this is what I, th- I think is a really cool part of this. I mean, it's still, I'm like, well, well done you. But this isn't unusual for him. So this is not the first time he's got an idea in his head. Um, last year, he founded Kids for Change 757. I don't know what the 757 means. This is what I guess he decided to call it. Um, and he also launched Carti Packs, which were care packages of essentials for the homeless. Um, which, you know, just be your basic soaps and gloves, you know, to keep warm in winter and stuff. Um, and I just think it's really cool because he's this 11 year old kid. And of course, his parents are very proud of him. They're like, oh, you know, he's so beautiful. Um, but he was saying when he- they gave some of this stuff to one of the single moms, you know, she just like, she's burst into tears. She's so grateful. Why are you doing this? Thank you so much. And he was really like, oh, I mean, nearly made me cry. Um, and I think there's something, there's something about a heart that is just naturally giving or choosing to be giving. That, like he makes his comment, he's like, Yeah, anyone out of any age any age can do it. And I think that there is this kind of flavor where people go, This isn't anything super special. I just wanted to help. This was my community, I wanted to make it better. Absolutely. And I think you often see that with people who are really out there giving. When someone gives them praise, yeah, okay, sometimes it can go to people's head. We see that too. But there are a whole bunch of people out there that they're like, But but why wouldn't I do this? Why wouldn't I try? Why wouldn't I contribute? And they get a bit like Like, why are you praising me for this? Like, this is not what we do? Like, do we not help each other out? Anyway, so I was like, man, go him. He will go far.
0: He will indeed. (laughs) He will indeed. I love the heart on this kid. Yeah. And, you know, so many kids these days are like, no, I'm getting money. This is going to be cool. I'm going to go and, you know, buy this with it, buy that with it, buy the other with it. And they just start to get those dollar signs in front of their eyes. Whereas here you've got a kid who is going to learn the real joy Mm. of labor as well as the value of labor.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I just think, go him. Okay, another thing. Oh, I think this is amazing. So in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia, um, a gym is providing signed Auslan classes for the hearing community to stay fit, breaking down communication barriers. I just think this is a so gym. cool. A gym? Yep. So like a get fit workout gym. Okay. Auslan, which is just Australian version of sign language. Yep. So uh, what's her name? So
0: you have a personal trainer who speaks Auslan. Yes That's how it works
1: Yeah uh, Not just a personal trainer She she has now opened up her own gym With her partner
0: Oh I guess there's a full a
1: Full gym Osland gym yep. yep
0: So can so- I go there as well or not Oh, don't
1: know I don't know I mean I guess you could you, we kind of defeat the look, purpose you if, might uh, not understand anything yeah no, well,
0: this is true it might not be useful for me
1: but this was but this is how it came about where she put up something on Facebook um, about you know whether people would be interested or not and a whole bunch of people have just essentially responded they've come like it's opened up in Brisbane um, in Logan so it was like right around I think like, I think Queensland had just got back into lockdown but now kicking it off. Uh, so we couldn't go visit now anyway if we wanted to. we can't get into Queensland <laughs> <That's right. laughs> But there's a whole bunch of people that are just saying, you know it's it's not just being physical fitness, it's been a really mentally amazing thing and it's been a sense of belonging that they haven't had before because like how do you do things safely? like how do you if you're just starting on you, there's only so much if you're fully deaf like I think we the deaf community is someone I think does get missed out a lot. We just don't realise. I think so, yes. And I think this is incredible. that Someone's like, we've seen a need, we're going to make it happen. And everyone is just like, this is the best. Anyway, so well done her. Well done them for like seeing a need and wanting to do something with it.
0: Yeah, and hopefully it goes well and goes far. We need to have more of this kind of thing happening in our world today.
1: Totally. You're listening to The Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM. Positively
0: different. So travelling over to California this morning. Well, actually, ta- travelling over the United States west coast, of mm-hmm. course, it's on fire. Yes, and this is something that, as Australians, we can have a lot of empathy for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to be keeping our American uh, brothers and sisters in our prayers as their country burns through our winter, and we get to take a take a breath and uh, brace for our fire season. Often, we find you know our firefighters heading there, and then their firefighters heading. They send a lot of firefighters over here. Uh, when Australia was burning, and so we need to remember just how much they've done for us Mm. so that we can do for them in return where we can. Uh, It's interesting to see the response of various people groups. So the United Sikhs, for the past two months, have handed out thousands of meals to displaced people. And, of course, just in the state of Oregon alone, 10% of the population of Oregon has been um, evacuated. That's like half a million people.
1: (gasps) Where have they gone to?
0: Well, various places okay, uh, within Oregon and also outside of Oregon as well. Yeah. And, you know, we don't have that scale of evacuations when we have evacuations because we just don't have the population.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know? We don't have the population to have half a million people evacuate, but they do. Mm. And so that then creates a massive strain on, you know, all of the different aid agencies that are providing for accommodation, they're providing for food and so forth. So the United Sikhs have got together and they've just, they're just making food and they're handing it out and they've done thousands and thousands of meals so far. And, you know, I was thinking about this story and just how positive this is. You've, here you've got um, dark-skinned people, the Indian people, so they're, mm. they're, they're what they're called... I guess they call themselves brown people who wear turbans and headscarves and are often mistaken for being Islamic Mm. and are often profiled because of that. And I was just looking at that and thinking, okay, this is how you respond.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: This is the way to respond because this is what is going to break down prejudice. Yes. This is what's going to break, racial, break down racial tension. Rioting in the streets, burning and pillaging is not going to break down that kind of tension. It's only going to increase it. Mm. And so what you can see coming out of this is a whole lot less tension between the Sikh community and you know, other communities in the United States.
1: Yeah, because
0: they're doing something positive, and if only we could get everybody out there doing the same thing. And one of the things that they have noticed, of course, is that um, you know, as this evacuation, as this crisis has been taking place, and they've got a church here that is uh, um, just as 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 one example, the Clovis Hills Community Church in California, um, they're kind of ground zero for a one hundred and seventy five thousand acre fire uh, in which many of the church members lost their homes. They've opened up their car park and their facilities and turned it into a campground, You know, a big car wow. park. Everybody's camping in their car park. They're sleeping in their cars, their caravans, their camper vans. They're pitching tents in the car park. But they've um, made it safe for them to do that. They've opened that up so that people can use the facilities, mm. use the kitchen, use the, the toilets and showers and so forth. And uh, they then have a team of volunteers who are providing food and services, organising games for the kids um, on the grassy areas of the of the church, Uh, providing chaplaincy services, Uh, they've opened up prayer rooms and so forth to care for people's emotional health during this particular crisis, and uh, a lot of the people who are providing these volunteer services have just lost their homes.
1: Yes. So they've
0: gone from losing their homes and like, okay, I've just lost everything. What do I do next? I know what I'll do. I'll volunteer to share Jesus with people. You know, that this is you know, you look at the United States as we have for the last couple of months and gone, you know, what of a disaster of a country. But that's not actually the case. Mm. You know, you look at the tensions over there, they are actually an incredibly small minority. And, you know, you get this whole conflict between BLM and ALM. The fact is that the vast majority of BLM supporters also support ALM. And the vast majority of ALM supporters, well, by definition they support BLM. Mm. We just like to drive each other into these separate boxes and create division and when you have something like a massive wildfire that comes through, suddenly everybody realises, well, actually we're just all
1: human beings. And this is what's and interesting. And we can live side
0: by side and we can camp side by side in a car park and our kids can play games side by side in a car park and it all just vanishes.
1: Yep. You're and that, no, I was just going to say that's something that's really interesting that they see around the world over the years. If a study has been done, often they find this. When there is a tragedy of some kind that... that is large scale, so often that's natural disasters because that tends to be the thing which hits multiple yes. people. It brings people together in a way that it just doesn't otherwise. Because I think it's exactly that. It's oh, hold on, like we can be we're side all, by side. Yes, we've all lost, but we're all like there's so much beauty in it too. Like that, I just think that's really cool. I mean, not good at what's out, happening, a, yes, but yes. yeah, exactly. The relationship that can develop, and I think look, I have this little personal theory. That we could, I don't believe we will have world peace, but I think you could if if you could have healthy interaction on that level because you can't hate someone that you've gotten to know on a deep like level or you can't hate someone, I don't think, when you have gone out of your way to help them when you're in a bit of a predicament yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like it just, it, it softens your heart a bit.
0: There's, there's an old saying, it's not in the Bible, but it's a very good one. You know, idle hands are the devil's playground. Mm-hmm. And when you get too much wealth and too much affluence, people start to fight with each other because they've got nothing better to do. <laughs> yeah. Take that away and suddenly mm-hmm. they realise we're just all human beings.
1: Yeah. That's a really cool story though.
0: Oh, Absolutely. I'm, I'm super excited about this. This is, what, this is the kind of thing that we need to see. Um, the uh, Southern California uh, Baptist Disaster Relief. Sorry, the California Southern Baptist Disaster Relief has had uh, sixty volunteers out for the last couple of months, continually uh, providing food, but they've also brought in a uh, a huge chaplaincy team mm-hmm. uh, that is basically going from door to door because a lot of people are living in motels and caravan parks, yeah. and just providing spiritual care for uh, displaced people. And um, I think that's fantastic. This is this is this is Christianity in action. Crisis does not create character mm,
1: reveals it. it reveals it mm.
0: and it reveals the fact that yes the the majority of christians are not the ones who are you know burning and pillaging and looting and creating strife all across the US that is not the majority of christians oh. The majority of Christians are out there and they care for people and they're really doing real practice. And and Sikhs as well, you know, and people of other faiths, you know, because we started this story talking about the Sikh community Mm. doing something really fantastic. And this is what we need. I want to encourage, you know, here in Australia, if if you're a a part of a minority faith group or, you know, some other minority that is sometimes looked down upon, then look for opportunities in the crises that come because there will be a crisis coming to Australia in the very near future. We don't know what, but that's the world that we live in today. Jesus is coming soon, and so we live in a world where we move from one crisis to another. And so look for that opportunity. When that opportunity comes, embrace that opportunity to do good in your community, and you will find that the the, the racial, religious, whatever other tensions are just going to evaporate. Mm. They're just going to disappear when people see you doing good in your community. Anyway, so uh, another story um, also coming out of the United States. This is from the Pew Research Centre. They've been looking at religious people in relationship to science, particularly climate change science, and they've found that people who believe in miracles and the afterlife um, have lower estimates of the risk of climate change.
1: Wait, what does that mean?
0: They have more peace.
1: Oh, okay. I was like, "What do you mean they have lower risk of it?" Like <laughs> lower estimates
0: of the risk of it. Okay, so they have more peace, which is the good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, they have less care.
1: Yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh.
0: So we need to balance that out because God has made us stewards of the world. Yes. He's placed us in dominion of the world to have to be stewards over it or managers of the world, and so. Um, we that doesn't give us just, you know, open slather to go and to create havoc and to destroy the... Do whatever we want, We yeah. Do whatever we want with it. We need to um, look after it and prever- pre- preserve it where we can. Let me get my words together here this morning. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Joining us on the phone right now is Etienne McClintock with a monthly update from Voice of the Martyrs. Etienne, welcome to the show.
2: Good morning, Lyle. Good morning, Benny. Welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Etienne, what has been happening around the world this month uh, with Voice of the Martyrs?
2: Well, the ongoing pressure of people struggling to get uh, support and help during the you know, the lockdown and restrictions under the COVID-19, uh, there's a huge need there for Christians. But, of course, in many places where there's persecution, Christians are, are being forced for the sake of trying to survive, forced to try to get them to denounce their faith. Many of them are remaining faithful, so the demands in regards to just providing provision and support for them uh, has grown uh, significantly. And then in another sense, uh, with uh, Bibles being limited in many countries, there's still a huge demand for Bibles, and you'll typically find, you know, when we talk to persecuted people, we ask them for their needs. The first thing they ask for is prayer. Secondly to prayer, they would normally ask for Bibles because they love the Word of God, they they fortify their minds with it, they eat, breathe and sleep the Bible, they'll handwrite it, commit it to memory. And of course, one Bible in some restricted areas will serve five up to ten believers, they'll take the the binding of the Bible, at the back they'll pull out the, the pages, and uh, when they meet, whenever they can meet, they'll swap the pages around. So maybe I'll have Matthew 1 and 2, you'll have 3 and 4 and so on. Next time I'll swap with you, I'll hand write it out if I can, or we'll commit it to memory. So the Word of God, very important to them and prayer, very important to them.
0: Yes, now when we talk about COVID, let's talk about COVID for a moment because we've just seen uh, India probably has the highest infection rate of anywhere in the world. Uh, of course, they're... Ability for reporting and testing is, you know, behind a lot of other countries. But in a country like India, which does have a government that has recently strung swung towards, you know, a very religious-based government, a very Hindu-based government, um, how are Christian believers being affected by COVID lockdowns in a country like that? Well,
2: look in some in some areas, in some states, they have some relative freedoms, you know, where they are not discriminated against. And the country's actually, the country has a, a democracy, a constitution that guarantees religious freedom. However, there are quite a number of states where there is severe persecution, even loss of life at times. And uh, the challenge in those states are maybe the government's intention is, is honorable to help all the citizens that are struggling. But when the aid is dispersed and passed around, if they know you're a Christian, they want you to denounce your faith, especially if you've been a Hindu previously. Denounce your faith to get the aid, otherwise you can't get your hands on it. So that's the challenge. I mean, Hinduism is just one of those uh, uh, religions that actually persecutes Christianity, particularly in a place like India. But that's radical and nationalistic Hinduism. violently opposed against the Christian church. And this uh, creates quite a a challenge for uh, for many people. I've got a story this morning that I can probably tell you out of India. Uh, There were three young Christians from the Talbora village, uh, that's located in India's Odisha state. Now Odisha, there's been a uh, lot of, uh, persecution, even loss of life of many Christians. And they've been banished from their home village because they refused to renounce their Christian faith and convert to Hinduism. So I'm talking about three young people. Uh, there's guy's name is, uh, Saranda. He's 22. Subhash was only about 20. And then Jamuna, a uh, young lady at the age of 19. They became Christians about four years ago now, 2017. They were baptized. The village where they were in Talbora had no Christian church at, at all, so they would actually walk to the next nearby village and attend the weekly worship service there. Now, what happened is Saranda, the 22-year-old, actually started meeting a small prayer meeting just under the trees in the open fields where they were in Talbora. Other villagers saw this activity, and they became very hostile when they noticed that other people started to attend and listen to Saranda's preaching. So on to the 29th of August, so that was, what, that 15 days ago, 16 days ago, um, they, they so the three that I mentioned and the six others who attended the prayer meeting, they were called to a village meeting. And at this meeting, the, they were pretty much threatened with severe consequences uh, if they did not renounce their faith. Now, so there's a group of nine Christians there. Uh, of the nine, six feared so much the consequences that they were being threatened by, that they renounced their faith. However, we've got Saranda, the 22-year-old Sebastian, the 20-year-old, and Jamina, the 19-year-old young lady, stood firm for their faith, and then they were banished from the village. And as they left, uh, they had nothing but their Bibles and some food and a few other items given to them by their parents. And then they traveled through the night to the nearby village where they'd been attending church, and uh, they were taken in by the local pastor there who continues to support the three young Christians amidst this, this banishment.
0: Yeah, it's a different kind of a world than what we're used to living here in Australia when, you know, uh, you could hardly imagine if somebody, you know, was banished from an entire village or town, I guess we would call it, uh, simply for, you know, changing religion. But, um, okay, so with Voice of the Martyrs, how were you able to actually find out these stories and then provide aid into a country like India?
2: Okay, so many of these countries, we have our own operatives at work. Uh, some of them work in frontline ministries. Some of them have a combination of, you know, um, humanitarian work and frontline work because our work is basically split up 50-50. It's about, you know, Bibles and supporting frontline pastors who, who take the gospel in these restricted and hostile areas. And then the other part is also to provide aid. It could be food. It could even just be clean drinking water through water filters. It uh, could even be just medical support for people who have been thrown in prison, who've been malnourished and come out and they, they, they are quite ill, to people who have been attacked and they need um, they need medical treatment. So we provide uh, aid for them through, through these needs. Uh, sometimes we find stories from our sister organisations who also work in those areas and other places where we get these stories. But the stories are varied. Uh, For example, you think India is all about uh, some radicalized Hindus who are attacking Christians, but sometimes there's other groups there. Like, for example, in the Disha State, there's another group called the Maximite political group. Uh, They aligned with uh, Marxist-Leninist ideology. And uh, there was a pastor, Sanvi, there who'd been sharing the gospel in villages near his home and he'd been doing that for about a six, seven year period as a bivocational pastor, meaning that he was actually funding himself. He'd work, he'd earn a living, and then he'd also preach. So he planted house churches in two of uh, two of the villages in his region. And the local Nazalites, which are these these Marxists, um they actually repeatedly warned him to stop his ministry, uh, and they threatened him, but he could kept on sharing his faith and being a witness for Jesus. And then one evening uh, this group appeared at his door. Asked him to accompany them. Uh, his wife said something was wrong. Uh, his wife, Sasha, followed them at a distance. She carried the two children. And when she saw her husband tied to a tree there, she began pleading with them to let him go, but instead in front of her and the children actually beheaded him. Um, it's just nasty, terrible stories coming from, from many, many areas. I mean, that's, that's obviously a communist ideology that's driving that hatred towards Christianity. But uh, just last, if you look at another communist story out of Vietnam, just last Monday, so this is only a week ago now, thugs um, were sent by local authorities to attack a Christian couple who were on their way home from a Christian meeting on the Monday evening. They used wooden sticks and they, they beat them both. Now Sister D, we'll just call her Sister D for her own anonymity, was hit on the head when she fell to the ground. These perpetrators ended up picking her several times uh, and then they fled as they started attracting attention. She had to be admitted to hospital. She had a gash in her head that required eight stitches. x ray confirmed that she had sustained a broken rib, and um, our operative there actually contacted us and visited her, and uh, we've been paying for a treatment. So these are stories that uh, just come to us on an ongoing basis around the world. Just to give you the general statistics, um, now, although communism had fallen, but the former Soviet Union communism still operates in China, North Korea, Vietnam, Cuba, Laos. Many Christians endure persecution under communism. Religious terrorism and extremism has been a growing phenomenon uh, against Christians around the world. Matter of fact, uh, Open Doors, who actually tracks uh, persecution of Christians around the world, uh, said there was a 15 million increase in the number of Christians persecuted uh, up to October last year. So they do a 12 month report at the end of each October. And so in another few months, we'll have the new report. we're we'll hoping it's gone down, but everything suggests to us that it hasn't gone down. It's probably gone the other way. Then of course you have Islam that also attacked Christianity. You know, Groups like Boko Haram, uh, formerly uh, Islamic State was in the headlines, but uh, they, they've sort of morphed into other organizations. Uh, there's been bombings in the Philippines, kidnappings in Egypt. These have become commonplace. And then we also even have Buddhism at times in places like Sri Lanka and Burma and Bhutan where they actively oppress Christians and sometimes they do it quite violently. So we find that at the moment in regards to persecution, um, there are 200 million Christians living in areas where persecution is severe. I mean, really dangerous. And there's another 400 million Christians in areas where they are at risk and there's occasional persecution. And there's a lot more Christians who from time to time will just be uh, attacked as well, but they sort of, it's more isolated rather than, um, an organized uh, constant barrage of attacks on Christians. But th- persecution, just to summarize it, it takes on many forms. It could be mild, severe from I mean, simple discrimination, you can't get a job or your kids can't attend a school, harassment, beatings, kidnappings, rape, forced marriage, forced reconversions, imprisonment and torture and even murder. And we have a uh, one of our operatives that was working out of the Czech Republic for Voices of the Martyrs there. Um, his name is Peter Jacek. And uh, he, as, as a young boy, watched the Soviet tanks roll into the streets of his village in Czechoslovakia at that time. And uh, they took the country by force and they were subjected to decades of communist oppression. So Peter actually grew up in the underground church, uh, benefited financially from the help and bibles uh, being smuggled into his family. And as an adult living now in the Free Czech Republic, he chose to serve the persecuted church and Christians around the world, especially uh, Islamic hotspots in Africa and the Middle East. And in 2015, he was arrested in Sudan. He was just there four days was doing some work working on projects for us. He was convicted as an enemy of the state and sentenced to life in prison where he was forced to share uh, in a group cell, like a cell only designed for about one or two people with seven others, uh, they were ISIS terrorists, these people. And uh, there's a book written. He's written this book in conjunction with Rebecca George called Imprisoned with ISIS, Faith in the Face of Evil. And what I'd like to do today, Lyle, if that's okay, is make these books available maybe to the first five callers. If you go on to um, Anderson Robertson online, you're going to pay about $38 for this book. It's a hardcover book. But uh, we'd like to offer this as a special to your um, to your listeners. So the first five callers in, will send the book out to them for free. Um, say so just give you guys a call and then we'll make sure that we get it mailed out if I can get a name and address for these people. And also a mobile number just in case the address doesn't work or something like that.
0: Yeah, that's an amazing offer there, Etienne. So that's the book, um, Imprisoned with ISIS. So this is a Christian person who's sharing a, s- a cell with uh, what, six or seven other uh, members of ISIS. And, uh, yeah,
2: so they can tell this whole family story his whole life story from the beginning. So uh, you can find on YouTube his story, but this is actually the complete story. Just tell his background and how God was preparing him for what he had to endure while he was in prison there for about 245 days.
0: Mm -hmm. And this is one of the most significant giveaways that we've had on Faith FM for a long time. There's a $40 book, so this is not insignificant that, uh, that Etienne is giving away right now. And the phone is starting to ring off the hook right now as we speak, Etienne. So uh, yeah, if you want your copy, then do call straight away. Our number is one eight hundred three two four eight four three. 324 843 Our text number is zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Unfortunately, only five copies uh, most generously being made available by uh, Voice of the Martyrs. Etienne, uh, thank you so much for coming on and joining us here on Faith FM this morning.
2: Yeah, you're welcome. Listen, if people do want a book, a copy of their own, they can actually buy it on our website, vom.com.au. I think we're selling it to maybe around the $20 mark, so we're actually discounting it already there. But I'm hoping that uh, we have a few people call and get this book. It's a great book, a very encouraging, inspirational book, and also the importance of the Word of God and prayer. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.